Hello listeners, welcome to Talking Out Your Arts. This is the podcast where we explore creativity and arts and creative process in all kinds of fields and how it exists in our everyday lives. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening and for by everyone, I think it's probably about three by now. Hey Sam, um, I know my mum's one of them, so hey mum. Um, but if you're new to the podcast and you're a, you're a curious uh curious person in the world that uh, is interested in hearing interesting subjects talk about what they do welcome um this is my co-host sam foster say hello sam hello and uh you are my co-host hayden jones thank you um, thank you you're welcome welcome now who are we talking to uh on this episode samuel i think you should take this one this episode we uh actually spoke to my brother ben foster and um it's quite interesting because uh, when we set out to make this podcast, we wanted to make sure that we didn't just speak to artists. And the first two episodes, we've spoken to artists or people in the arts world, at least with Louise Bazina yeah. from Brisbane Festival and then Space Cowboy. Um, Is this because there's only two types of people that we know? We know artists and we have family members and that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's So we interview someone. It's got to be from one of those two categories. Yes, but um, we wanted to chat to Ben because uh, not so much in his current role working for council, but in his previous role uh, working in baseball um, organisations, in particular the the Australian Baseball League, mm. and his experience um, playing baseball overseas in America, and we were interested to talk to him about the the curation of of uh, a season or of a of a whole event like a like a baseball game or a mm. or a a, um, a league in mm. his case, and and what goes into that and the thought that goes into creating that experience because for us when we were chatting about it as an idea of getting him on the podcast to chat it was like you know it's um very similar to how we go about you know curating an event or a gig and and planning for that and going okay you got to have certain things that um the team is is i guess the same as a as your cast and then mm. your coaches are like your directors and your creatives and yeah and i know we've always been fans of this idea of you know the connection between or the similarities between sport and art and we both grew up playing sport and um and, you know, sport, when you think about it, it's this kind of arbitrary thing, you know. You, know, you take something like baseball and it's like we're going to throw this object and you've got to hit it with a stick and get it over there and then run around in that circle. And, and, and it's sort of this um, strange activity to do, but it's incredible, brings people a lot of joy and is incredibly engaging. So, you know, when he talks about um, – he goes right into the, the world of that, um, how do you kind of take this thing and – that seems like this kind of arbitrary thing, um, and make it into this this spectacle that is becomes ingrained in in people's daily lives and ingrained in the culture of a place. Mm. And of course, it's the same as 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 theatre or dance or music is is the common factor is you have an audience. Mm. You know, when you go to a, a footy match or a or a baseball game in in this instance. Um, there's an audience and, mm. and so what is the experience from their perspective and why are they there and what are they getting out of that? So yeah. I think it was a good example of um, how creative thinking at least and we get into that a little bit about whether he sort of sees himself and his role in, in that capacity as a creative thinker mm. um, and and where that exists in, in other ways in, in our world. So mm. 
Yeah, interesting chat. So. And you actually weren't present for this chat. No, too. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't. I, I think I might have had a sick kid. I couldn't make it to the to the chat. Um, so Sam, you actually did this one with our producer David Carberry. Um, did a fantastic job, and and um, I had to listen to it in the car and was totally engaged. Yeah, Ben, he's a he's a great he's a great speaker, and um, he knows how to spin a good yarn. And uh, yeah, I think for me it was really. Um, Again, like a, like a lot of our guests, it's really a peek into a, a new world that I'm not familiar with, but I found it really engaging. Um, so, yeah, I think people, um, it's like watching a documentary, you know, mm. go on the journey. Yeah, hopefully you find it engaging. Uh, remember to subscribe to our podcast, like it, share it, rate it, um, give it five stars. If you're going to rate it, like, don't, I should quantify that. Like, we only want good ratings, like... Nothing below four stars. Really, like, let's if be you, honest. If you haven't got anything nice to say. Then probably just don't listen to the podcast anymore. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, we won't be offended by that. But don't leave a one-star rating. I mean, who who would leave a one-star rating on a podcast? That's just mean. Yeah. Um, so don't be mean. But, uh, yeah, other, otherwise, without further ado, enjoy the episode. So maybe start us out, Benny, by telling us yeah what it is. I mean, you can talk about your current role as well, if that's if that's relevant. But mainly, you know, that particularly that role in sports and 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 um, organising the management of, of of the league and all that kind of stuff, and yeah. how that came about. Yeah. So I think, like, you know, the old adage goes, "Those who can't do teach," right? So mm-hmm. that was always the. Um, uh, came from from the field from being an athlete um and yeah, so you, you, you sort of uh, grow up with a you know for me it wasn't quite a singular obsession but it was pretty close to it um in terms of just living breathing thinking baseball 24 7 growing up mm-hmm. um had the opportunity through that to see a bit of the world and maybe did um, half a dozen, a dozen trips to the States by the time I was, you know, 20 or thereabouts. And yeah, right. and so that kind of opened your eyes to new experiences and seeing how things are done. And for me, um, both here domestically in the former Australian Baseball League, um, so I'm, I'm just old enough to have played a a few seasons in the in the late nineties in the in the former league here, and um, that was always the aspiration to to play you know make baseball my profession. And so um, uh, again, a stolen line. It's not mine, but um, I wasn't very good. But I played with some people who were. <laughs> so um, I was good enough to play with some people who were, and that that uh, probably ultimately led to a couple of years playing at the very very basement of professional baseball in the US um, which is called the independent leagues um, and and was based in Chicago which was again a great town to be based but you tell, s- tell everyone just for those who don't know well I guess full disclaimer that you're firstly my brother yes uh, that <laughs> state that uh, straight out so obviously I know all these stories but um, people listening might not know that yep. but I I always thought it's quite particularly that league is quite interesting and it, it's probably going to 
tie in nicely with what we, what we might end up talking about. But yep. how does the – for people who know nothing about baseball, yeah, what does that league in America, that independent league, how is that different to what they might think of when yeah, they think of professional yeah. baseball? So professional baseball, the landscape of professional baseball in North America – at its sum is about anywhere between 200 and 230 professional teams. Now, of those, this year it's just been reduced slightly. It used to be around 140. It's now about 120 are what's called affiliated minor league teams. So the New York Yankees, uh, everyone's heard of the New York Yankees or the Mm. Los Angeles Dodgers, Mm. um, they will have a team at what they call AAA, They'll have a team at double A. They'll have a team. They'll usually have two or three teams at single A. Then they'll have a rookie ball team. Sometimes they'll have then um, uh, academy teams based in the Dominican Republic or there or thereabouts. So at any given time, a professional club will have a professional major league team will have somewhere between 150 and 180 players under contract oh. who are saying, "I play for the New York Yankees" or "I play for the Chicago Cubs," etc., etc., etc. Of those, only 25 play in the major leagues and make any money. Hmm. So if we're, if we're talking about, I often use the analogy that, um, and this is where I think the, 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 the acting or theatre, um, but certainly acting, um, draws a lot of parallels, is that, is that hey, you can be a professional actor um, in Hollywood, but that doesn't mean you're, you know, making Marvel movies, getting $20 million paychecks. Mm better chance that you're probably bussing somebody's you know table at a local cafe or or serving lattes and and so i played for outside of that bubble um which is called the independent leagues which again are these privately run privately owned um organizations um that are there to fill a void because the thing about baseball america's pastime and the reason why it's so popular everywhere is because everybody Everybody goes to a game and, and, and you, you're creating, as I said, I was based in Chicago, but every other team that I played in, in the league that I played in was based in small towns all over the Midwest mm. of the US um, up and up into Canada and you wouldn't see some of it somewhere. You know? So there's an audience there for that, the, that amount. Of, that, the market's big enough. There's an audience there, but I guess the, the unique part about that audience is that they're not coming to see, if we're using the theatre analogy, they're not coming to see the actors. They don't know the players. Mm. So nobody knows, there's no, everybody knows those 25 people playing in Wrigley, at Wrigley Field mm. on the Major League roster. Nobody knows the other 150 names that are, you know, throughout the minor leagues. So that poses the next question, why are they coming? What are they coming for then? What's so the experience they're, that they're coming for? So sometimes they're coming because that's the only thing to do in the town that they live in. Um, right. So there's a little bit of that. We're talking you know about I mean? small towns, so like, not much happens. You know, so some of the places like Tupelo, Mississippi and Winchester, Tennessee and, and you know, these these little two horse towns where they thought I had two heads because I was Australian. They'd never met anybody, you know. Let alone shout out to everyone in Tupelo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, birthplace of Elvis too, by the way. Oh, really? So yeah, 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 interesting. Yeah, you see a lot of little places that you might uh, might not otherwise know, but um, you know these these crazy places that you wouldn't think would support a professional baseball team and certainly in the, in professional sports as we know it wouldn't do that but because of the spread of population base in the US people don't want to drive 3 hours or 4 hours to their big major you know the 30 major league teams that are based and spread across the US 
they want to go 15 minutes down the road to their minor league ballpark where they can see something that resembles professional baseball and is actually pretty good standard, mm. um, you know, objectively. Uh, but what they're, they're going for a night out and it's, and it's more often than not, it's an inexpensive night out. So on a Tuesday night in Tupelo, Mississippi, they're trying to get 1,500 people to fill a stadium to break even because the reality is that a lot of these um, uh, minor league teams are run as independent businesses. Uh-huh. Um, so they pay for the players. They pay the players' salaries, which aren't much. Um, my first year I made $800 a month. So, <laughs> you know, these guys are living, you know, we had nine people living in a two-bedroom apartment when I was playing over there um, <laughs> just to try and – just to try and make ends meet. So it's it's far from glamorous. And like mm. I said, it's the lowest level. But then again, I'm playing against and with guys who've played in the big leagues and are just trying to hang on mm. to get that chance because once you go back to the promised land, it is like making a Marvel movie and getting paid millions of dollars a year and, and somebody carrying your bags and not having to worry about any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so the draw is there. So the talent, I guess, is compelled to play in this thing. But I guess to the entertainment value... You're coming up with these these owners of these minor league teams who are like, well, how can I run a viable business? All right, I've got all of these. Yes, I don't have some of the overheads in terms of the, the I don't have to pay for the players on the field yeah. most of the time in independent leagues, they do. Um, but I've got the stadium operating costs. I've got, you know, all of these things. Every other cost is mine. I have to pay for the meals and have to pay for all of this, um, everything else that goes into running the operation. So the the bums on seats demand is absolutely there and it's central to to every operation so what you what that that culture has created over the time is the level of entertainment that is required to make it a fun night out no matter what the score is no matter who's playing no matter what's going on you want to create that family and it's predominantly families that this is aimed at you want to provide that atmosphere during the summer that people want to go out have a beer they have a hot dog have some peanuts and they they're entertained for two and a half three hours Mm. and they do so for you know far less than than have to pay at a at a a major league venue and and away they go and so so for you uh just to yep just to kind of connect the dots here for people listening so you then um so you were a player. You had that direct experience as a player mm-hmm. in the states and got to witness that. But then your career in baseball, in in the man- management side of things, mm-hmm. uh, you were then working for the ABF originally, Australian Baseball uh, Federation, and then and then for the a- the new ABL when it started. Yeah. So tell us about that role, and then I guess how the, your direct experience of being a player then largely shaped the way you you kind of took that into your new role yeah yeah and so it's we were i guess i a lot of the time at sliding doors i was in the right place at the right time and 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 um came out and landed a role with with baseball australia with the australian baseball federation and and they'd been starting ever since you know the last league ended in in 99 um i literally played the last game of the old league. Don't you still have the ball, the last? Mm-hmm. Yes, I caught the last out of the original AVL. And so um, one of the one of the things that I'm proudest of is that, is that I was then 
literally employee number one for the new 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 league helped with the assistance of major league baseball they basically underwrote a 75 percent shareholding in the in the in the new entity um and after a few fits and starts it was every year it was oh it's coming next year it's coming next year it's coming next year and in 2010 um we were finally able to launch and that was unlike we just touched on before where in america you've got america's pastime everybody's familiar with the product and so going to the ballpark is a generational habit that people just knew about and 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 would gravitate towards you're now trying to create something from scratch where Nobody knows baseball's played in this country. And you've got the, the, the added challenge of all those same sort of challenges of trying to, well, what's how are we going to fill a ballpark on a Wednesday night in Canberra? Um, that's where I guess the, the, the game of baseball and the cadence lends itself to those sort of entertainments. So you've got nine innings, each of which has a you know two-minute gap in between each inning. So unlike going to the football where okay, it's half time and we've got 15 minutes and, and we do a big Zor brace or we do something, you know, some other sort of promotion um, on the field, you're doing that 18 times a night. So you've got this opportunity mm-hmm. to create these little mini, you know, stories and characters yeah. and experiences. Yeah. And so that's where all the things that you've probably seen on TV, like the hot dog cannons and the, mm-hmm. you know, the dizzy, the, bat, races. The dizzy bat races and 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 the the there's a whole... And, and again, lending itself, we we weren't able to quite, um, well, certainly in, in by the time my time with baseball um, wrapped up, we weren't able to totally replicate it. But there's this whole subculture or sub industry that's been created in the US of these traveling acts. That so there was the the famous there was the Blues Brothers show. You know what I mean? Where these guys would impersonate the you know, Jake and Elwood Blues, and they'd have a band and they'd literally go and that would be the attraction. So they Just would, for baseball? Just for baseball. And they would just do minor league baseball. So they would literally travel yeah, from right. town to town and that would be the promotion saying, hey, we're playing the, you know, we're playing the, you know, Tupelo Mudcats, you know, on, uh, on Tuesday the 4th of, you know, July – Fourth of July was yeah. its own thing. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. but but we're playing. But um, but in town that night, and all the pro- posters leading up to that series, and the local radio promotion would be saying, Blues "Hey, Brothers. the famous Blues Brothers traveling show is coming to town," and they'd, they'd have any sort of these. There was there was at like least a-, a dozen, at least a dozen sort of well-known acts that would do the tour. They would that- do the circuit and and just go from town to town, and they'd do it for the six months or the five months of the minor league season. And they'd be booked every night, and they'd just go from town to town. And, and that reminds me, Dave, of like the, the trad circus kind of yeah. route. Like, if, like you know, I, I think about our, our friends like Goldie, who's currently mm-hmm. you know, you know, Goldie. We played yep. indoor cricket together, and uh, um, you know, traveling around from town, small town to small town, and they pack up and they pop up the tent, and off they go. And and that's the, it's like that, but applying that act, yep. to a setting that's already there, which is the baseball setting, the team and the Correct. infrastructure, and they just pick up and take their act. And and so and the managers the managers of these teams, the general managers or, or whomever they might be, would be in many ways reliant upon these acts to try and fill mm. those. So you'd have your fireworks night and you'd have other promotions and, and always looking for the next promotion, and that's what they're, they're known as, and they'd have... So there was variation so you'd have, part of that, so they could... like. You, 
so it didn't get stale. You need to keep changing it up so that your your same fifteen hundred people that are coming to the to the ballpark 100%. get a different experience every time. And like you're saying, I think the application in Australia more so is is relevant because you know in Australia people don't know even know the rules of baseball, let alone mm. give a give a shit about what the outcome of the game is. So it's like they're supporting the Brisbane Bandits, and they're like, I don't even know Brisbane had a team, let mm. alone the rules of the sport, let alone I don't care if they beat the Sydney Blue Sox or not. Like, people just want to have a good night out. 100%. So so those strategies – so you started in that role with thinking about, like, what – were you looking at it more as an event that you go – obviously the standard of play has to be – you know, it's, it's, it's good if the team's winning, if the yep. standard of play is, is of a certain level, but – were you? What was your kind of role with each of the clubs and organisations to try and implement these kind of creative thinking strategies around, like making the night out at the ballpark a fun night out for families? And yeah, you know, how so, hands on were you? With well, that? Uh, and it was it was difficult because we were in, in a sense we were serving two masters in that regard, in that we were trying to be both. Whereas, um, again, the minor league model that we're talking about, they weren't at all concerned with player development because they didn't control the players. Mm-hmm. They had no no concern other than other guys, can I put a team on the field tonight because I've sold tickets and I need something, somebody to be out there running around for nine innings. Um, they had no concern with that side of the game, um, so the, the baseball operations side of it in terms of the mechanics they, of that. You'd still have heroes and villains that would be created in that sense. Like if you have a, an interesting character, that yeah, would have, I yeah. imagine there'd be some wild characters that you would have met along the ways. The, that, oh, well, players you play with are, uh, are characters in and of themselves. Yeah, but, but there's the club kind of like then sell them as characters that... that well, the, the not really, much. because you can't rely... That's It's right. it's mm-hmm. a, it, you, you never know who's going to turn up. Changing yeah, the time. cast... Yeah, so you, you might get the understudy any night of the week, mm-hmm. you know, and so you can't build around that. So each team would build a promotional calendar. Mm-hmm. So you'd build a promotional calendar, and that's why it's build, built around these acts or these giveaways. And what or kind of acts are we talking about? Like, is it completely varied? Like, yeah, like- I mean, and, and some some even build in those characters as regular um, members of the of the ensemble. You know, mm-hmm. so you'll have the the hot dog vendor guy. Um, I forget the name of which team particularly uses him, but you know, it's this guy who wears this ostrich outfit. He's dressed as an old-time hot dog vendor with the striped, you know, the the candy stripe sort of vest, and he's he's running around in a pretend, you know, ostrich costume. Is, is the team an ostrich? Is that their mascot? Or ostrich? Are they the ostriches? No, they? no. He's just he's just Random. hot dog vendor guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, but his thing was and he, dress up like an ostrich. He, he had well, his he, his body is that, and his legs are the ostrich. You know, those outfits that kind of look like the, mm. the you're riding a horse or a dinosaur, <laughs> and it's just all in one. And so, yeah, he's sort of got this, and he has a very specific, very well rehearsed act that he clown will just routine exactly, yeah, yeah, clown routine. A lot of people will use, uh, a lot of teams would use their their PA announcers would actually become characters, and mm-hmm. they, they would walk around, you know, on on wireless mics throughout the crowd and create activity um, mm-hmm. throughout the ballpark. And so, we it's quite theatrical. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And and as as Sam touched on, because you're because you're selling the experience as opposed to necessarily the result of a sporting outcome, it's got it's it's that it's that 
from the second people pull up in the car park to the second they drive out, you, you're always trying to make it something to enjoy. And so one of the big strategies that that um, some teams rely upon and that, we, again, this is one of the things that we were trying to is – it is that group mentality. So some of the some of these teams rely almost eighty percent on group sales. So because they can't rely upon the draw the individual to make a decision to go out to watch the game tonight because they don't have that natural draw card, it's well no, this is the night you come with ten of your friends and you have you go to our little, you know, tiki hut at five o'clock before the game and have an all you can eat barbecue and then you go to your seat and, you know, you drink, you know, it's nickel beer night, so you can drink mm-hmm. for, you know, all, which you can't do anymore, unfortunately. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's those sort of things where you're creating a, really creating a, a tribal experience that people can come along and, and join in. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's a lot that goes into that from the from the planning side of things. It's It's got to be a coordinated, you know, from your front of house staff who are your really they're your, 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 your sales staff who are making just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of, of calls to try and fill the stadium. You know, every, and it's, there's, a, there's a whole business around it. Right. Um, and you're using the theatrics and, the, and the, the event as the reason why and you draw a lot of testimonials and, and – Hey, you came last year, and so it's a very. The, the it's exactly the same as what we do. I mean, we just before you walked in, we were kind of looking at uh, reviews that have just come out of our show, and and how to then you know mm-hmm. help that you then use those the good sections of those reviews, mm. um, and you cut and paste those, and they become ways to sell the show for the next season at mm. the at the next theater that you bump it into, and the and the phone calls that go into. I mean, I, I that's akin with the. Every theatre, every venue, every festival has a has a marketing and PR team, and mm-hmm. they're trying to set up media opportunities, and that that's largely what where this kind of idea of bringing you in to to chat came because you know I, I know over the years the amount of this kind of stuff you're talking about, I see it happening in my world, mm-hmm. and, and and I see that crossover where whether it's about you know naming rights or sponsorship television rights you know and, yep. and and that's an audience that you're trying to get to and um and all that kind of stuff and, well and i think i think for the for me one of the things is is that um the community theater or or, or stage productions largely unless because often the times unless you're talking about like a uh phenomenon like Hamilton mm. right where that everybody's heard of and they just go because oh i want to go because i've heard that it's an event and I, I need to go to say that I went. Um, but not a lot of people would have heard of shock therapy productions and no, you know, there's no, not yet, not yet. <laughs> exactly. Um, there's no, the name recognition that I was touching on isn't there exactly. necessarily. And so, and some shows rely on it. There's, there's the show itself and others. That's why you see like things like Shrek, the musical sells yep. out before they even go on sale because they're, they're banging on their, their, um, it's on the back of the film that was yep. so successful. So there's there's things that exist in the zeitgeist that that don't require any marketing and PR other than to say it's on at this time at this place, and yeah. the rest it sells. Like the itself. one the one on it hotter at the moment. Well, it's going to be on the American Psycho one, right? Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are, you know, closet fans of the movie like me who'd be like, 
curious. You know I wouldn't ever go and see a musical, but an American Psycho musical, I just might go and and and, and check it out just yeah. because. Um, uh, but I've always often wondered because you know I've obviously grown up a little bit based on dad and our upbringing, so the theatre isn't totally foreign to, to me. Mm. But a lot of my contemporaries, it is, mm. and they would never go unless someone bought them. Mm. And so the theatre crowd, I've always thought, is a very individual crowd. Mm. You know, you sort of book and you'll go with your partner, or you'll go with you know maybe one or two friends. It doesn't really have a group sales mentality. No, I mean, um, the only and aspect I've, of that is schools. Yeah, schools, correct. Yeah, so I've often wondered, like, you know, is that a is that a business strategy? Um, that could be utilised. And I guess the difference with theatre is that maybe the rallying cry is around the venue. So people will be, get to know a venue and there'll be regulars at that venue and it's like, well, what's on there this week? And they'll, they'll go and see just because they're, they're habitual theatre goers. Um, the but in trying thing, to... Um, go the, ahead. The group thing is, is definitely a thing in cabaret. Um, yep. Cabaret, burlesque and circus. Like, yep. You know... The hen's night or whatever it is. Correct. And I, I would add comedy to that too. Yeah. You know, yeah. you look yep. at the, the, the yeah. Brisbane Powerhouse where we're doing our current season. They, the things that sell the best there are cabaret and co- comedy. Mm. You know, they, they're, mm. they're the things that people, a, a, a large group of people will go out just for a night out. Like they don't even necessarily look at the act. No, I guess it's yep. similar in that way, just going for the experience yep. of it. Um, yeah, the overall experience, including having a drink and whatever mm. yeah. whereas they're not going to take a punt on a small independent theater particularly drama uh piece yep. that they don't know anything about that's too risky that it could be shit so they just go like, well let's just stay at home and watch netflix instead so it's, a, it's in, a hard sell yeah. in, in in our world um without a profile without having that profile to go and that's where you know reviews and things help to go yep. It's actually, you know, and interesting too. Be, you know, I agree. You you typically want to do those group activities, and be laughing. Yeah, yeah, you know, is is probably yeah. the common thread between all of those because almost exclusively all of the minor league entertainment that I can think of and remember that I've seen is all built around laughter. Mm. You know, mm. it's it's. You mentioned the dizzy bait race before. Mm. That's only good. When you get the when someone runs into the fence, when you get the unfit dad who's having a go against the teenager who's got balance and he spins around ten times with his head on the bat and then collapses over and falls on his face and in the dirt and everybody you know and the whole stadium erupts in laughter. Um, you know the one that they, I saw last year, the Atlanta Braves. So they do this at the major league level too. Right. They ran the freeze. You know this the character from from the what is it the Incredibles the 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 Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had a a local guy. I think he was on the grounds crew, who they worked out was a an elite four hundred meter runner. So they ran a promotion where they'd get some punter from the crowd, give him a fifty meter head start. And he'd okay. race race against the freeze Along and the, the outs out uh, the outfield wall right. like around the warning track and and the then outfield. the viral video that this gained so much notoriety was a guy who you know young fella thought he had it all the swag put his arms up and was cheering ten feet from the line saw the freeze pass him and then nose dives into the dirt and just 
you've got 50,000 people in a stadium all laughing at the clown mm. who has who has entertained them. And that was... That's interesting. That's come up recently, like um, that what tends to be selling in the arts at the moment is is lighthearted, you know, either visually spectacular stuff like circus and yep. cabaret or, or funny so comedy. People, there's, there seems to be an appetite away from drama because of... This post-COVID environment that yeah. people don't want to go and watch heavy stuff. Or the the program is a risk averse to going. Yeah. What's going to get the bums on the seats? Type of thing. Yeah, because mm. the theatres have been closed for so long that they were finally open. We don't want to take a gamble on something yep. that's might not sell that well. We're only going to get fifty percent capacity. So there's this kind of they're they're going for surefire bets. So they're they're booking your Shrek the musicals and your you know your. Mm. Your well-known comedy acts and cabaret stuff, because mm. uh, so it it makes it hard for what we do as a as a contemporary theatre makers doing stuff that's a little and and it also like we just went through this with our show going yeah it deals with some heavy stuff but it's also piss funny like yep. but you go how do you then get that out <coughs> out to the out to market to go yes it does deal with mental health and this but it's also funny because then that then we go what do you mean you you're making fun of mental health, and it's like, no, 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 no. You're misinterpreting what I'm trying to say. But mm. that's it's, an interesting it's, thing about interesting. Um, having programmers who want to take risks on stuff and and steer the audience in a like. I wonder if that's a thing in in baseball, uh, you know, in terms of the programming of the entertainment and whether there's yeah people that experiment and take risks and. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. Like, because it might it might still be funny, but you go there's a, there's there's the regular the ostrich hot dog guy that you know is a surefire win, but then there's a new guy comes around who's doing this new act and you're like, I don't know if it's going to fly here in Tupelo. And, uh, and you know, do oh, people a hundred percent. There's, there's always, so that, that, that creative, because you'll maybe, you've got those 70 home games that you're trying to, ideally you're trying to sell out. And some, some clubs, you know, I think the um, Daytona Dragons who are in, Iowa or Idaho, I can't I can't remember. They hold the world record. They they sold out seven hundred and fifty plus games in a row. You know they've they've only got a three or five thousand seat stadium, but still that's seven. Cool. That's like ten straight seasons of selling it, like having just sell out, sell out, sell out. Because you've wow. created such a atmosphere, mm-hmm. you cannot. So in was those seventy games, good, or was it irrelevant? Some years they'd win, some years they'd lose. You know, right. it, 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 that's, so that's not, but that's not the fact. It's the experience. They're yeah. selling the experience. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's, it's again, um, you can only rely on the Blues Brothers Act and the, and the, and the hot dog vendor guy, you know, maybe 10, 20 times a season. The other 50 nights, you're on your own mm-hmm. having to come up with the entertainment and, and the act. And so part of it is the, the experience. And so that's why I wonder, Maybe back to that 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 um, selling the precinct or the venue or the what goes on. You know, you see it down the road here with with Miami Marquetta. You know, a lot of what they're doing isn't about you know necessarily the content that's going on there. It's the no, that's true. Well, I mean, here's a here's a cool vibe. I know I can get there. I can have a a bite to eat beforehand. I can have a drink in my hand, and and you know what? I don't know what who's playing there tonight, but you know, it the, definitely helps. I mean, cool on. you know, like the Brisbane Powerhouse, yep. where we're currently doing our season, is you know a lot of people just. It's such a cool venue, mm. such an interesting space that 
that we get access to audience that don't wouldn't have yep. gone to see us in any other of our other shows or seasons anywhere else, but they're on the powerhouse's uh, mailing list and they just like going to the powerhouse and they'll they'll kind of I was just talking to a couple the other night that they just I go how'd you hear hear about the show we bumped into them at New Farm Deli on our on our dinner break in between a matinee and an evening show mm-hmm. they're like oh great show we loved it it was it was awesome and we're like oh cool how'd you hear about it and they're like we just we live around the corner yep. um, we go to most things that are on at the powerhouse we just love going out. We saw that popped up. It looked interesting, so we thought we'd see it. They didn't. They didn't know who we were. Mm. They didn't know anything about the show, but they knew the venue, mm. and so you know that is definitely a, a factor here. Yep. In, in the experience, yeah, and they they can kind of bank on. There's there's also a bit of a quality control that comes into that where yep. they're they they're entrusting that the venue is not going to book they're something things that's on the way through completely yeah. shit. And and I've talked to Ronnie about this at the powerhouse. This like they have a uh, a responsibility it's like you're the artist you we can't control what you're mm-hmm. and we're not going to ever tell you what to make but it has to be of a certain standard in order for it to even come in the door for us to even book it or buy it because yep. if it's not and it's terrible then that then those people that local family in new farm go ah oh, the last show i saw there was not that good and and all of a sudden if they have three or four experiences like that they stop coming to the powerhouse mm-hmm. so so there, there is a factor in, in making sure the venue is the stuff that's coming through the door at the venue and or the festival as well. I would I would I'd relate that to festival curation. Yeah, you know, for sure. If you if you curate a festival program and and you go it happens here on the Gold Coast with, you know, Bleach or, or, or um Brisbane Festival that people go, Oh, Brisbane Festival's on, oh Bleach is on. I just yep. want to go out and see whatever's on. Yep. Uh and so there's an expectation that gets created or a responsibility of the of the people that are curating those festivals mm-hmm. to deliver a certain standard of work. And if that drops off all of a sudden, then people start going, oh, geez, please use what it used to be or that festival's changed or... Well, and, and again, I think it's selling an experience. So you're selling the, the people the package deal. It's not just... So Bleached is, is selling it, hey, this is, you know, art in... Maybe locations that you wouldn't normally or expect to to see it, and it's sort of providing that you know. When I saw your thing down at Burley a couple of years ago, nobody expected to see the cleaners and three you know shipping containers and people hurling mud through a giant. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody turned up at that festival thinking they were going to see that. Yeah, they just they knew. just heard there was an thing. experience where come out, have fun, you know, do what you need to do, and so you know it's it's there's again there's a lot of that. Um, certainly in sports, I mean, you see it. Um, the the attention on the on the um, corporate suites, yeah, you know, and selling mm. those as mm. as a because they're they're obviously a high yield seats. You, you you're selling a package, you know. what I mean, you're not mm. you're not worried about you know. So it's the food and the beverage and the concierge service and whatever else goes into it. Um, you're selling the experience, you know. It's like first class, you know, in a or in a. Mm. Yeah, you know, mm. on an airline or you know when we used to fly tell, in them and things like tell that. Tell us so. about. I mean, I know this story because we 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 had chats about it. But like when you did the All Star Game, mm-hmm. and that whole because it was that was I was quite fascinated that and we had some chats about that curating that event, and the one particularly the one I was thinking of is where you had was it Levi's sponsored it 
and they were a major sponsor. And then you got Jet to play at the – was it Jet that played? Uh, no, it was um, – I forget the name of the band, but um, uh, you've, you've stumped me now. They're, they're, they were a, a similarly – you know, skinny jean wearing, um, you know, they looked hipster good. They tribe looked good who, in Levi's. who looked good in <laughs> Levi's, yes. Yeah. Um, who, yeah, was absolutely that, you know. So they had the Levi's live deck, which we stole, you know, unapologetically from the San Francisco Giants who have a massive, mm. you know. Um, so, you know, stole the idea, pitched it at Levi's. They bust. We were in Melbourne at the time. So they got a b- bunch of cool people who they knew from, you know, the, the music scene there um, and bust them out to Altona, which for those of you who know Melbourne, um, isn't the most attractive location that you'd, you'd think you'd want to go and spend your, your Friday or Saturday evening. Um, and they took over the place. And so, you know, you've got, you've got the promotion um, beforehand. Um, you've got the band playing at halftime. They did their own sort of... Um, tried to do their own Jimi Hendrix-esque uh, version of the of the national anthem, which, you know, you asked about, you know, the quality control that bombed, you know, that was an absolute uh, – it had me there pulling my hair out just going, you know, because we, we – put that in trying to take me out to the ballpark. We put the trust – and that's where you put the trust in the sales guy, you know what I mean, um, who, was, who was every bit the, you know – every bit the A-type sort of salesman, you know, where he would he would do anything to get the deal done. He did a phenomenal job pulling this whole thing together um, and it sold tickets and it did, it did a good job. But then as the quality control manager, you're sitting there as this guy tries to play the national anthem through his nostrils into a recorder, um, thinking it's like cool or funny or hip and you're just going, hang on, this thing's being beamed to the US on ESPN and like uh, probably not what we wanted, you know I mean, in terms of because that didn't come up in sound check, you know, that one, that one was pulled out of the, but again, live sport, all these things happen, you roll with the punches, they're sort of part of, but it's all, it was definitely cultivated in terms of creating that experience, mm. um, you know, and so, and so you were able to get that and you're, you're always looking to create something like that or replicate that. Mm. Um, throughout the you know and and sometimes they bomb and sometimes they mm. you know so, they come um, off and, and and then it becomes replicating so once you capture that magic mm. it's like mm. the the post game analysis is all right what what do we do tonight that works so well mm-hmm. um and how do we do it again and will will it bring people back and mm. you know what is the what is that you know That's what is that lightning in a bottle and and how can we how can we how can we create that again um because um you know it, and sometimes it's you can't you can't touch on it it's that sort of the right elements of of the weather plays a big part in things we do as well we're, we're you know laughing I mean? because so the, pr- the other interview we did today was with Sia Hanlon, who's a drummer, talking about improvisation, yep. and we literally said lightning in a bottle. Like, yeah, as just a re- talking about talking trying about- to capture those moments of creativity yeah. that you uh, improvised yep. and going, how do we recreate that? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And how elusive that is, actually, yep. like when you're improvising in music and you, you go, what did I just do? That the moment you try and recreate it, it's like something there's – think it's about the best you can the best I, I think I was thinking about that conversation with Sire and, and this brings it up again is that 
the best thing you can do is recreate the environment for it to happen. You can't mm. recreate directly what that experience was, yeah. but you can put the ingredients together so that you give yourself the best chance of that happening again. So yeah. you go, I, I had this person and this, and, or not even the exact, exact people, but the the types of things that were there so that then the, the, the chance of it happening again is, is higher, I guess. And like so that. you think of it, you think of it in terms of um, uh, social media, digital marketing now, right? Like it's, it's like going out there and trying to create a viral video. You'll never do it if you just try and create a viral video intentionally. The, the ones that go best are all, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're captured for a certain reason. And the way you do it is you just create more and more and more content and it's a, it's a numbers game. You know, mm-hmm. I'll eventually get a winner if I put out, you know, a thousand videos, one of them will get, you know, mm. its likes and, and go from there. Yeah, it's um, true. Like, it's, like even as theatre makers, you know, or, or makers of, of art, you know, you, you kind of accept the reality that not everything that we ever make as a company is going to be award-winning, but, mm. but some of them will be. And if we, if we keep creating enough content yep. and we keep doing it regularly, then we're going to get better at doing it. We're going to f- develop a shorthand and, and we've found that already, you know, like if you, you get better at, at writing certain things and mm. you kind of find these kind of shortcuts and, but it, it, it is kind of that, that thing of just going, we just have to keep doing it as much as possible. And, yeah. and some people are going to like others more than others. Well, so. I mean, it's the same. You can't, you can't ever count on the result in sport, right? You can go out mm. there and play mm. your absolute best game. And you just get beaten on the day, you know, um, through sometimes through no fault of your own. You, you can't play any better. And and baseball again is one of those sports that is a is a fantastic one because you know you fail. It's a game of failure. You know what I mean? You're the the best hitter in the world will fail seven out of ten times. Mm. You know, well. um, and so it's that well. And part of the reason they play so often is because you know you just. Wipe it off and you go out there and do it again tomorrow. Yeah, and I was even thinking just then, you know, we've been talking about curating the experience for the for the punters and, mm-hmm. and curating the experience. But even within a team, right, there's a curatorial process that goes on with the the talent. You know, that's mm. what trading players is about. And yep. you, you know, you, you can you can go about like, you know, for those of you who might have seen Moneyball, you know, which is this Famous story based on a real guy that that you've met, right? You've met, I met, met Billy. I met Billy Bean. He was walking around the office with his border collie when I um, walked in, and yeah. yeah, I could I can say, you know, having met, because oh, I guess in, in the time of my role, I used to go every year and meet with all thirty major league clubs to try and recruit players and mm-hmm. and and tell them, yeah, you know, when we were first starting, this was especially you know sort of. 2010, 11, 12, when we were first starting the league, and nobody knew what the ABL was, so we hadn't developed a reputation. Now we've got, you know, there's, there's Australia's got a good reputation in a league. It's been around a decade. It's proven. It's got a lot of players. You know, you turn on any mm. any major league game now, and you there's a good chance you'll see an ex ABL player mm. in there mm. playing in 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 the top league in the world. But yeah, you'd go around and meet a lot of these general managers, and they were all cut from the same cloth. And Billy Bean certainly wasn't; he was yeah. a different cat, mm-hmm. um, and and buck the trend. So I think that part of the story, you know, was was certainly true in terms of his approach and, and yeah. how he went about. And, and that's been replicated time and time again. Now, yeah. you know, it's it's not unique now. No. Um, and sort of going the other way is that is that 
they're wondering at what time will the um will the feel and instinct come back a little bit more than the uh, well i was going to say you know like even that's without you can't we're talking about like controlling procurating shows or products and and yeah, there's no and then not being any guarantees. I'd say the same same's true with a team with a sporting team. You could go out and and get the best team, the best lineup. Look at the Yankees for an example. Like I mean, without going down a full baseball wormhole here, but on paper they should win. The last three or four seasons they should have won mm-hmm. or could have. They had a, a team that was superior and 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 everyone's kind of banking on them to win but they didn't and there's all these factors as to why they didn't and injuries and you know like it, it's kind of happened in basketball with the brooklyn nets just got knocked out of the knocked out of the playoffs and they had probably the three three of the best players in the in the league and, yep. and one of two of them get injured and all of a sudden they're out and so that's also this interesting thing of like trying to curate create that happens in um just in terms of like being a director of a show um uh i mean there are nuances and variation depending on exactly what the show is and you know if it's scripted and choreographed then there's less room for error but um, with circus for example there is quite a lot of room for error um you know because you're teetering on the edge of danger and you know there's fumbles and stumbles and add the performance element to that you know as a director you can put this show together but then from the outside you just got to watch and you know Mm. hope it all kind of comes together and if a few people are feeling off or some tricks fail or whatever you you know from the outside you kind of just got to watch that happen or or even that it even if you took like injury and that out of the equation you go you you might have all these great players but it's that analogy of you know you you want a, a great team or a team of great players and and it's that same in, you could have the same in in a show in a live show you could have all these superstars but if they don't if they're all doing their own thing there's no uh, complicity on, mm. on, on mm. stage together then the audience is going to feel that and then they're going to go I, I don't care that they were all individually great actors there the was no synergy was yeah flop. the experience yeah. was a flop mm. as opposed to then seeing something like i think that's one of the best things that Hayden and I have going for us is the thing that we consistently get commented on is that our connection, our our cohesiveness together mm-hmm. on stage is is kind of electric and dynamic and and like people go that that was something I, I haven't seen two actors yeah. kind of connect on that level before. So that that that's kind of I guess what we're talking about with like how do you in a team sport as well, how do you kind of try to create a, a group of a a group of players that that gel really well together and they might not be you know that is that is half the battle um especially you know and i i didn't play in the big leagues but you know you're around egos which is not dissimilar to you know any of the creative arts you get egos and people who and so the the manager the head coach in baseball or this you know stage manager or director or whoever it is you know Part of your job is keeping the egos in check and 100%. making sure, yeah. you know, especially and and I imagine it'd be the same thing with a with a long running um, mm. season um, production in in theatre. Is that you know these guys spend more time they see each other more than they see their families and spouses and everything else and and so it's like you know yeah. group dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Clubhouse skirmishes skirmishes happen all the time. Where you know, if if this guy comes near me, I'm gonna 
and kill him. Um, you know what I mean? And so, you know, running interference and literally scheduling, you know, batting practice groups. So, That's you why know, major league is this, so accurate. This guy That's doesn't talk to this guy. <laughs> yeah. And so, drama. It, 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 oh, there's, there's, Endless drama, and that's part of the battle. And and the teams that that you know have a good. That's why that you'll hear these sort of. Um, oh, he's a great clubhouse guy. You know, culture. Um, yeah, yeah. Is, is, who can bring in and, and sort of unify a team. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and and the ones that the ones that capture it will have a, you know, they'll have that they'll have that mentality. They'll they'll have they'll have that ability to work as a as a unit as a family so yeah there's, there's a lot of that and, and you think that's a that's a, a key ingredient to success like on the like in terms of on the field as oh, well 100 percent, 100 percent. if and and i guess if we talk about the commercial side of things though all of those clubs if you don't have cohesion between you know the various elements of the person because you're talking about that whole game day experience if you've got a dead shit at your you know, ticket booth who gives people a, you know, a bad experience on their way in, mm. you can spend all the money in the world on the best entertainment. You've just given people, you know, the, a, a bad. So that's why the, the, the teams, the teams yeah. that do it right, they, it is, it's a brand, you know, and, and, you know, you, you're talking about a, um, everyone from the person who takes your ticket stub as you walk through the gate to the hot dog mm. vendor to the, you know the the person you you go up and and you know ask the usher. You know what I mean? Who 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 shows you to your section or your seat? Yeah. So um, who, who do you think is who is it hierarchical? Like, do you think that say in in, in the instance of sport, is is it the owner of the club that that determines that culture or creates or establishes? Yeah, that culture it depends or? which spot. But the 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 boss, you know, in pro sports, it's that's like anything. Like, it's, do you think the Melbourne Storm the culture is you know, culture that. is reflected by leadership? You know what I mean? And 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 that that filters down, and you just make it you 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 make it contagious. Um, I, I feel like in you know from all accounts that like in rugby league, Melbourne Storm had a, a very obviously amazing. Uh, Massively successful team in in a city as well that wasn't typically a a rugby league city, but mm-hmm. had good players. But the cult, like they've had this great culture, and they're still having success now, even though a lot of those superstar players have now retired and yep. moved on. Yep. And and you, you got to wonder whether that's part of this this uh, all these things you're talking about is the whole experience from the 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 front end ticket sales to the game day experience to the way the players respond to the but is that Craig Bellamy that's kind of determining that culture or do you think it's it's something even above oh, I think it depends it depends I think it depends on the setting you know what I mean and every you know whether it's an office workplace it's it's always who is the who is the leader driving you know within that setting driving that culture or maybe leaders maybe there's well the, the, the 100% you know it's not it's not always one person um, but if you're the guy or girl who ultimately is is charged with deciding who's coming in to the organisation, um, you're going to set that bar in terms of this is the this is the type of culture and this is the type of leadership. And uh, you know you see it where it, it becomes cult like, um, where people just it's infectious, and as soon as they walk through the door, you know they're they're starting to get on board, and and yeah, it's they pick up all these subconscious cues about what the expectations are for the organisation and, 
Yeah, I've seen it both ways. Um, certainly, in, good and in, bad. You mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where it can be absolutely, um, you know, the the change in the change in a single person and and their um, their demand for for excellence or, or or a certain to achieve a certain degree of 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 it just changes the energy in the in the in the whole hundred percent. You know, hundred percent because we talk about it a lot. Our small organisation, but as we kind of grow and expand, that a lot, a big part of that is when we bring new people into that mm-hmm. fold, is that they have to understand the the ecology and the and the, the ethos of what we do. I mean, when you yep. came on board, Dave, it was a big part of that. It was like a kind of six or twelve months of kind of understanding not just mm-hmm. what we do as a company, but why we do what we do and how we go about doing it and mm-hmm. we have a real family kind of vibe and mm. and people that work with us other creatives kind of pick up on that and and it's not you know it's not the same as what other bigger organizations do but but people go oh, it's it's kind of nice because it makes me feel I feel part of something you know different and so like in your role as uh, the direct well when you were the director of the, the baseball league um, were you essentially like curating and programming and thinking about that entire experience from the person ripping the tickets all the way. Yeah. So, and I guess my role was a little bit different in terms of I was the league, which um, in, in many instances that it's, we weren't, it's, you you can't artificially, um, we were sort of the governance, I guess, Mm -hmm. in, in many ways. And so you couldn't create that, um, you couldn't create that culture for I can't tell go and tell Perth hey this is what your culture should be mm-hmm. um, we did do a lot by way of being as prescriptive as possible um, so if you take the um, you know the, a franchise model you know what I mean the, part of the reason is that they're they're able to replicate and the you know you'll get a certain hamburger and it will taste more or less the same no matter where in the world you get it and that's that's what they're and you predicated on right, you, and so you were able to hold them accountable too. A lot of your job, I know, was kind of holding them to account, going, "Hey, listen, guys, the that standard's not it's not on par with what everyone else in the league." Yeah, is doing. yeah, so, and so yeah. that's why, like, I, I, you know, certainly, I think I um, tried to conduct myself fairly evenly, but I'm sure a lot of people thought I was an absolute, you know, son of a bitch most of the time. You know what I mean? Because I was like, this guy doesn't know, what, you know, he. he he doesn't know what it's like on the ground, you know what I mean? So it was like, you know, there was there was a little bit of that, I'm sure. Um, but it's again, it's it's trying to trying to draw upon, well, look, this we know this works. We know this model works because we've seen it work. Um, but you can't always account for the personalities. And that's where you, know, you can give people the manual, you can tell them, hey, this is what you should do and these, this is what we expect in terms of um, you know, it's 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 so the best thing would be is like, well, you know, anyone can pick up a book of Shakespeare's, you know, collective works. You're not going to get the same production of, you know, mm. Hamlet mm. every time out. Mm. You know what I mean? It's going to be, it's going to be up to like the words are exactly, they're written there and they've been written there for 600 years. And, and how, how can your version be so much different to your version? Right. So you give, you give people the, 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 Blueprint. The blueprint to, to work within, but you, you know the outcomes are always going to be driven by those who are who are on the on the ground implementing that, and so you, you just try and you try to mitigate against you know 
any of the and that was a lot of what I was focused on because it was we had thankfully we had um you know daddy's credit card and 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 we had some big purse strings to play with big being relative um mm. you know we still were dwarfed by um you know the, the big bash yeah. right mm. so the big bash started the same year we started and they they 100% unapologetic you know stole the the minor league baseball model they're going to ask about yeah they they their entertainment as a you know um the difference is that you know they spent 40 million dollars promoting it their first year and we spent you know and maybe 400,000 and they, <laughs> you know that, and then that's, and that's that the, model that, works perfectly for them because cricket is Australia's pastime in the same way that baseball is America's pastime so they're banking on that well that there was a familiarity in, in terms know. of the, the product but you know no one had seen the flashing lights and the you know and I remember I was um there was a uh, a guy who worked for Cricket Australia at the time that I was talking to this was 2010 or 11 um, and he was like, "Man, how do you how do you make how do you get the players to how do you get the fans to keep the foul balls?" I said, "I just need to work out a way for Kookaburra to make us a ball that doesn't cost one hundred and thirty dollars. So when someone hits a six, um, I can let the fans keep the ball. You know what I mean? There's so much. Whereas in baseball, every time it goes out, like we yeah. we would use that was part of the thing is that people wouldn't believe that you know we'd go through 13,000, 13,500 baseballs really? a year. Um, and that was like a, a you know, part of the draw card for the experience. 100% was the best thing. That was the best comeback the next time. Like that yeah. best. If a kid goes home with a foul ball or a home run mm. and they're, they're throwing it out the back, I mean, you, you mm. go to any ballpark anywhere in the world and, and you'll see kids around the foul lines and the home run fence chasing like their life depends on it for a, for a home run ball to get a to get that ball is like this thing but yeah it's it's true cricket and footy you got to throw it back <laughs> yeah 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 and and so he was like he was like you know oh, the players are worried about the shine and all that and so like as much as they were trying to buck the trend of you know um the traditionalists they couldn't get past the um you know Cost too much. <laughs> well, cost too much. Look, in reality, their purse strings were probably big enough to afford it, but it was it was as much the players as well. Mm. Oh well, you know, it's like you're only playing for twenty overs. Like the ball's not going to like just change it every ball. Like the in baseball, the ball touches the dirt. That throw it out and get a new one. You know what really? I mean? They just yeah. they just use you know. It's just like yeah. there is no. No the variation is the, yeah, the, 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 the variation isn't in the ball it's in it's in what you do with it so mm. yeah but um no there's there's a lot there's a lot to that in terms of the um the, the cultural element that comes comes with any tribe you know whether it be an office whether it be a a, a sport whether it be a theater company whether it be you know it's 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 making sure that everything you do is reflective of whatever your end game is, you know what I mean? So there's there's a lot of innocuous stuff and that comes down to the, the ticket taker or the guy that's, you know, you know, when, you, when you're thinking about stadium operations, you know, like how clean are the bathrooms? Like that's a massive thing. Like you don't think, it's not the first thing you think about with sport. It's like, well, you know, make sure the bathrooms are mm. spotless because, mm. you know, you, someone comes there and a, a, a mum's taken her daughter to the baseball for the first time or to the football for the first time and you know she's a toddler and has to change her in the 
you know, halfway through the game and has to go into a filthy stall. And, the, you know, that was one of our biggest problems because we were playing in makeshift stadiums to try and, yeah, we'd just have this failing experience of infrastructure where we didn't have, you know, we had to sort of invent it and create it. And, and that, was the, well, that was the, a massive challenge for us in terms of creating that experience from, from the outset. And it's true. It's exactly what we, the way we think about, you know, from the moment someone if we go into a school, right, often like we're, we're going into a different environment yep. every day. So we have our product and we have our brand and our ethos and our energy, but we're in a completely different setting every day. We're in a school gym, we're in a theatre, a nice theatre, and then we're in a, a classroom. And so how can we transport that space and, and kind of take some ownership over it, claim mm-hmm. that space and go, okay, when you walk through the door, you might be in – you know, year 10 drama and you're coming into this drama room, you know, for your entire high school life. But when you walk through and we're there, what is it about from the moment you walk through the door that you mm. go, oh, Something oh, it feels different. different. Yeah, it yeah. feels different. So we, we deliberately take a lot of time in, in trying to make that feel, that space feel different for mm. them. And, and so there's two things. There's that, but it's also how does the experience for the audience reflect what we do as a brand, as a company. So everything we do, and we do a lot of varied stuff, as you know, you know, but but what is the shock therapiness that it has about mm-hmm. it? What makes it a, a shock therapy type experience? Yep. I think that's what you're talking about. Like even at the big league level, you know, there's you can go and watch the same two teams. So let's take, for example, if you had the Chicago Cubs playing the – San Francisco Giants, right? Mm-hmm. The experience of watching them play at Wrigley Field versus playing in San Francisco, it's completely – I mean, you've been to both those ballparks. It's like, it's, it's a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. The same two teams, same sport, but the experience is completely different, right? And then that's because they, on every level from the operation – They've made. They've gone. What is the Cubs' experience when you when you come to Wrigley Field? You know, you that has to be uh, like if I went to if I if I went to a Cubs game, and and either one of the best experiences ever. Might I just exactly. add to everybody? Just needs to you need to go to a day game at Wrigley yep. sometime in your life. But yeah, I would put be it on your bucket. Put it on your bucket list because Wrigley Field in, in Wrigleyville. Sorry, we digress. In Chicago, yep. is it's. Bound on all four sides by houses. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just it's just a, a, a neighborhood that was you know it was built in nineteen you know twelve or something like that, and it's the oldest ballpark in in the major leagues. And and mm-hmm. it it like there's all these bars that you say so you'll go and start drinking at eleven o'clock in the morning in a bar outside. You'll walk in, you'll sit in the sun, you know, and in, in the bleachers and have a great you know have your hot dog and your overpriced beer inside the stadium and watch the guys <laughs> but i'd be if i went to a, a cubs game if if either eddie vedder or bill murray wasn't singing take me out to the ballpark <laughs> I'd, I'd walk i'd feel jibbed right and because uh, that's the thing it really? happened oh that's on a regular basis right. just the other day bill murray was out the window at the bleachers singing like they're massive cubs fans but mm. it's become this cultural thing where people know that that's what you come to expect at Wrigley. And mm. and likewise, if I went to the Giants game and I didn't see a bunch of dudes in kayaks out the back because the, the right field home run fence drops off straight into the 
San McCovey Fr- Cove. Yeah, McCovey yeah. Cove. San Francisco Bay. San Francisco mm-hmm. Bay. And so there's, there's dudes in kayaks there collecting the home run balls. And, like, that's a thing about that experience <laughs> of going to mm-hmm. a game. And so it's it's interesting that I, I relate that to, you know, when someone comes to see a shock therapy show, whether it's a play or something like The Cleaners mm-hmm. or or even hopefully listening to this, it, it's got a shock therapiness about it that, mm. that is that is on brand. And, and, and I think a lot of people in the arts industry are trying to do that, whether that's their own shows. Um, you know, a, a circus show has a certain feel and, and a show, uh, festival programmers do it all the time. You know, they, they try to curate a program and they go, oh, it's, it's not really... Dark Mofo is a great example. It's like... Mm-hmm. They get all these different artists from all over the world, but but they're very much about. Uh, it doesn't really fit. That's not really a dark yep. mofo show. Yep. So mm. they they kind of they're very aware of of what it is that they do and what aligns with that, and it can chop and change all the time. Yeah. But it, it, it it's and it's as so as you guys develop, I mean, that's how you develop a, a fan base. You know, you talk about you know fandom. Um, obviously, here it's. It's a really tribal sort of culture, especially, you know, Sydney and Melbourne around those f- traditional football clubs down mm, there. Mm. Um, and part of it, you hear it more so in, in rugby league, but it, to a lesser degree in the AFL, you know, where those, because they've lost their individuality in terms of, because they're all playing at mm. Docklands, you know what I mean? And yeah. every game at Docklands is a little bit the same, mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't matter who's playing there as their home game, whereas it's very different going to Punt Road or, or mm. Waverley or wherever wherever you wanted to, it's you know, true. you don't – and that's why, like, you know, going to watch a, a West Tigers, Balmain Tigers game at Leichhardt, you know. Oh, yeah. It, and everybody laments, oh, and they say, yeah, the facilities are bad and, and it's, 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 you know, the park footy, it's not – but. People love it, and and the the experience of walking up and someone selling, you know, which is a little bit like Wrigley, you know, the Wrigley experience is that you know guys are setting up their barbecues in their driveways, selling hot dogs for cash yeah, to all the punters as they run up, you know, Darling Street on their way to, yeah. uh, on the way to to a Balmain game. That's why you know some of the big footy clubs now are, have got these kind of satellite towns, like you know. On the weekend, uh, North Melbourne, they've got a connection with Tasmania and so to Hawthorne Football Club. And they, they get mass, they sell them out down there because Tassie doesn't have a team. They also get a massive amount of money to take their games there. Don't, don't kid yourself. That's, it's, yeah, a commercial, well, it's a commercial decision to, to, sure. to go down there. But, but, but yes, but there's right. no team in Tasmania. Yep. Tasmania has a big following for AFL football mm-hmm. and so these clubs go awesome we, we've got a massive chunk of our fan base that that are you know and they deliberately they try not as, as much as I was cynically saying it's a it's a commercial decision without as hard it is mm-hmm. um, but they also don't want to be just seen as the fly in fly out team we're not just here to take your money you know mm-hmm. like you've, you're adopting us as our, as our team so yeah. they will definitely try to have that brand represent them you know, um, in, I, I, in, I reckon in the vast majority of, of uh, I don't know, I'm just, but but if you're in Tassie, if you're born and bred in Tassie and you follow AFL, you're either going to follow the Hawks or North Melbourne because they're the only two teams that have a presence down there. Yeah. Right? You, there's probably, you probably got others who have migrated from <laughs> Melbourne and now live in Tassie who are different, but yep. I reckon there's a huge percentage that, that, that they've cornered, cornered that market because they've had a presence there on a regular basis in that same way that 
they're taking it to these small towns, mm-hmm. you know, to go back to the Tupelo Mississippi analogy. It's like they go, we'll, we'll bring it to you. And, and I think that's what, um, you know, I can relate to that. And that's what we try to do with whether we take a show into a, into Bogo Road jail and, and go give people a good experience in a, in the, in a, a place where they wouldn't expect it, but it's, that's where we can bring our kind of brand to that space and yeah. make it feel like it's, and developing a reputation, you know, like if if, if shock therapy becomes, mm. you know, the, the more you can replicate that that experience for people, mm. no matter what the show is, mm. you know what I mean? I'm sure you'll you'll start to now see, um, I talked a little bit before about how it becomes a generational experience. Mm. You know, undoubtedly you're going to start to run into punters and theatre goers who saw you in high school uh, oh you came to my school in grade 10 and i remember those dudes and, we have and they were doing that you know and yeah. now and now they're out in the right wide world and they're like oh yeah that was right you know like, and we now have say, um, say, well the direct worked one, out what they're after you know the direct one we get is uh students who saw us when they were students at school mm-hmm. who are now teachers at schools yep. who now book our shows because they saw us when they were a student yep yeah i'm showing my age now but mm-hmm. um but yeah, uh, my hope is that because we like to do stuff for people who aren't in the industry directly either. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the perfect example is like a you know uh, a kid at a school who doesn't follow a, a career in theatre ends up going and being an accountant or a or a or an, an engineer or something. But mm-hmm. then when we pop up at 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 QPAC or or at the um, Brisbane Powerhouse or at a festival, they go, oh, I remember those guys from, they came and did a show at my school, they were awesome. And then they come and see a main stage show that we do and connect the dots or, you know, when we did Splendour in the Grass, that was huge. Like the amount of new people that got access and exposure to our work through the cleaners at Splendour, no one had ever heard of us, but they saw this work. And then, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that some of them have kind of, even if they're just following us on social media now, they're still aware that we're still around doing other yep. stuff. So, yep. But yeah, but we should probably um, wrap things wrap up. up. But um, is there anything I, else? Yeah, I suppose there? I was just thinking um, whether, um, you know, reflecting on your experience in that role and whether you saw yourself as being creative or a creative yeah, person a um, in curating that experience for people. I think um, certainly certainly in the sense of being adaptive. Mm-hmm. So uh, while much like the, much like those sort of minor league experiences I was talking to is that um, there's a, there's a saying in baseball and adage it's, it's, you know, it's everyone's job to pull tarp. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of by that in those minor league teams, that means that, you might be the person who is responsible for you're the head of group sales. You'll see a lot of split titles. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, actor slash model. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm director of ticket sales, but I'm also the videographer who controls the the video board, you know, and, and the and the graphics that go on there at half time. Mm-hmm. So everyone pulls tart because if it rains, a rain out means refunds, which means we can't survive as a business. Mm-hmm. So when it rains everybody's off there, drops everything to get the tarp on the field because that's the only way you can save a game. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a, a small mm-hmm. theatre company like us. So mm-hmm. everybody pulls tarp. So the creativity element you talk about comes down to, all right, 
how am I going to invent something out of nothing mm. this week? Because I, I don't, I can't outsource. I haven't got the resources to to pull on and, and get somebody else to do this. I was going to um, say that it's it's not only creative, but it's resourcefulness, which you need in the arts as well, particularly small mm. and medium sector like us. You know, you 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 have to do all the things like we 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 call. David a potato because he's good good in every dish. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we 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 created a broadcast product, you know, um, uh, and and certainly this wasn't something that that I did solo, but it was something that we decided that well, look, we're we're not in a position where we're going to get broadcast dollars out of the gate. Um, we have to create something out of nothing, um, and so through with a little bit of spit and polish and and chewing gum holding it together you know we were able to broadcast you know at varying quality levels and that's still a problem i even out of the league now i watch it now and some of the games are much much better than the others but you could produce a broadcast game you know we'd go to we first ever game we had broadcast um fox sports did it i was part of their uh it was basically a, a, a part of their deal with major league baseball they said, "Oh well, yeah." They basically got told them, "If if you want to, if you want the rights to Major League Baseball, you've got to broadcast the, the All Star Game." So we did it in Perth. Came in the whole kit and caboodle, two big outside broadcasts, eighteen wheeler semi trailer trucks. You know the whole thing. Um, you know they they did it on the cheap, but they did it properly, and it's a you know it was a hundred and fifty thousand dollar exercise mm. for a single game, two hour wow. live broadcast. Um, first year we broadcasts. We did every game on average for nine hundred and fifty dollars right. <laughs> per game. So the creativity now mm. were they alike? Hundred percent not. Mm. And you could never draw a parallel. You're talk, you're comparing apples with oranges. But in that first year that we needed to create a product mm. that we stuck on the internet to prove that there was an audience, mm. that then you know we we were able to develop to the point where all right, there is some interest from overseas and we did actually get some small, you know, broadcast dollars coming in mm-hmm. for that product. It was creating something out of nothing. And so, and that's where some of the, had it not been for that, some of our best viral experience wouldn't happen. We had a kid in Adelaide, little red-headed eight-year-old kid who was singing the national anthem who could not, got an uncontrollable bout of hiccups halfway through the national anthem but the show must go on and just kept on continuing and it is like we next morning we've got wake up britain asking us for the rights to hey we want to show this cute little eight-year-old kid trying to sing the australian national anthem you know we didn't invent i mean having the kid there who i think his mum was like a stage mum who had asked to you know oh look little johnny wants to go out and sing the um the national anthem we're like sure we're look, we'll give you a go because nobody else will. So come out and he was all dressed up in his three-piece suit and <laughs> the whole way through the, you know, Advance yeah. Australia Fair and we had both teams lined up and they're just, you know, burying their heads in their hats as they're trying not to belly laugh at this poor little kid. Um, and then went viral and, and because that was on our, our, you know, broadcast channel, ABL TV, we had however many, you know, we used to use then those broadcast numbers to, to, to often commercial deals. Now, hey, we had we had 20 million hits on our, you know, ABL TV last year. Yeah, 
18.5 million of them were watching, watching replays of the kid doing the hiccups. <laughs> but that doesn't, you know, we still, the numbers don't lie. And, and so, yeah. um, but yes, that was always part of it was, was how can I, how can I create something out of nothing more often than not, mm. you know, because it was, it was all about resources, both human resources and dollars. Mm. Um, and so that's where you, you used to do your best work was, you know, even, even by way of like call it set design. So stadium dressing a stadium, mm. you know I mean? It was not uncommon, mm. you know, that I and others, you know, certainly I don't want to give the impression that you sort of did it alone, but it was, you know, I'd be out there till all hours of the morning hanging sponsors signs on a home run fence somewhere um, to, you know, go in, scrub up two hours later and be trying to host, you know, somebody in a, in a suit, in a corporate box doing the same sort of thing. And so, so it's that so those you, creative elements that you, you sort of, you look back now and go, God, what was I thinking? Um, so, you know, you and I are kind of, chalk and cheese in many in in a lot of ways and but uh we we share the same father who comes from the arts and Mm -hmm. do you do you consider yourself creative in a traditional sense no but when asked in the context of being um adaptive and agile and being able to being able to arrive at a desired outcome 100 percent so in terms of creating thinking creative thinking 100 problem solving you know is is absolutely one of my best attributes Mm. um and and that in itself you know am i artistic i don't think i am so you for you you think i don't identify as that there's a line between being creative and being artistic you think that's those two things are separate. Oh, look, I don't know. We're getting into semantics now, but yeah, I, I, like for me, you can you can think creatively because it was just what made me think that is is and that you uh, when you said problem solving, that's how we view when we make a play. Mm-hmm. It's just a series of solving problems. We need this outcome. How does that gonna? How's that scene gonna link to that scene? How's that character gonna link to this? Yeah. And so our our creative process is a series of solving problems. Do you start that with the story idea? Like, does the narrative start with what problem are we trying to solve? What 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 question are we trying to answer? Can well, that's yeah, it, it can, can be do. reversed, and it happens in um, in uh, physical work too. So, like uh, a lot of contemporary dance movement um, structures used to create work are like. Yep what's the problem that I'm going to have that I'm then going to use to move around creatively to solve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like putting the, the problem in front of you to, yep. to create it. No, I can see that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 and, and those, that, that's, that's some of uh, whatever the pursuit is that some of the, some of the best things that we talked about, those lightning in a bottle moments. Mm. Even in a professional sense, some of that is that you know you've got the deadline, you're working towards a, some sort of a deadline, and you, you you have to come up with an inventive way to, you know, you, you, that's when you look back and go, oh, there's some of the moments you know I was most proud of, you know, what I mean, and, and 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 you know we had one particular, you know, one particular event where, again, we're the the spotlight was on us. We we're hosting, I think it was the World Baseball Classic qualifiers that we had, and and you know 
literally did not sleep, you know, pulled all nighters to, to get through it and we're doing some of those stuff like, you know, building the field at 4am before the, you know, first game's on there at 9 um, that all happens, you know, behind the big curtain. You know, it's the proverbial ducks on the pond. You know, when no one sees what's going on, it it'll be all right in the night. You know, all that sort of stuff mm. um, that that you do draw upon from the theatre. The show must go on. Oh, so many parallels. At, to, you know, thinking about my own experience in relation to that, putting a show on. Yeah, you know, yeah, there the night before, hanging the curtain. You know, exactly the same. It's like at rain well. In our case, not rain, hail, or shine, but you know what? Especially, and especially when you're dealing with a major event with broadcasters involved, it's like at 7.01, we're going live on ESPN. Like, the stakes are high. The world is going to be watching. I remember going to Sydney and, and you got to be, you got to be on. It's got to be ready. You know what I mean? Watching the um, Diamondbacks Dodgers game in Sydney. Oh, the SCG? Yeah. The SCG. I mean, the stakes are massive with that. We're talking about a major league, the first ever, the only ever major league baseball game played on Australian soil at the Sydney cricket ground mm, mm. that they transformed into a baseball. Diamond. Yeah. I remember like, that. It's insane. If that, if that fails, if that fails, there's, there's so much at stake. Um, but yeah, so yes, yeah, so it, it's, 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 it's that, it, that is your opening night of Hamilton on Broadway or like, you know, that's the kind of equivalent and, and we've and it's all relative because you know just because you might not be there might not be the same millions of dollars involved or you might not be on a broadcast audience but you know the second you start asking a paying audience to come through mm-hmm. you know you, you've asked them to part with their hard earn and, exactly. and and trust you to you know give them an experience for the night and you have to you know you have to deliver yeah yeah we feel that pressure all the time no matter if there's 30 people in the in the audience or 330 Three thousand and thirty. You go. They've they've made a decision to buy a ticket. We owe them to we, the the respect mm. to give them the best possible product we can, and mm. and, and that's uh, you know, some of the huge. most embarrassing creative stuff that I came up with has been under pressure. Like I mean, I look back now and go, what was I? So first season in Melbourne, we ABLs had this hiatus for ten years. You know, we were trying to create something. I'm the general manager, of the league, general manager of the league. We don't have any grounds crew, so I'm. It's hissing down with rain. Um, me and the rest of the you know the front office staff from the Melbourne team are out there with shop vacs, trying to soak up puddles of water in an otherwise unplayable. It was embarrassing how bad this. Like, we, there's no way we should have played. Like, zero way we should have played. But you've got, you know, a faithful. We might have had fifteen hundred people there that night, maybe, and I'm probably thinking, you know, rose-coloured glasses to how many people actually turned up, but they turned up in the pissing down rain because they'd been waiting ten years for the for the Mm. ABL to return to Melbourne, and so we're like, you know, whatever it takes, we're going to get this get this thing off the ground tonight. And I look back now, God, we had we had Didi Gregorius playing shortstop for the other team. We could have, you know, this guy's. Played, went on to play five or six years for the New York Yankees. He's plays for the Phillies right now, earns millions and millions of dollars. I could have ended his career. It was unsafe to play, so you know mm. I can say that now. But mm. you know, all, all went well. But um, you know, it's one of those one of those things that you, you just you, yeah. But it's you're a, trying to put on that show. Yeah. You're trying to put yeah. on that show and 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 give people the the you know a couple of hours to escape and 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 be entertained. 
Well, that's probably a good place to uh, wrap things up. That's a great, uh, great place to end it. I mean, that's largely what you know. This is about is about the art of what you do, you know, mm. and 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 that's why it, it it's not just about art. You know, this whole podcast series is about talking to people about what is the art in what you do, and 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 you've just kind of articulated perfectly the art of curating a a major sporting event and and mm. the stakes that go into it, the creative mm. thinking. So um, yeah, really interesting, yeah, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. bit fun. Yeah, <laughs> cheers. We'll put, uh, uh, well, I guess is there anything you want to? plug or promote while you're on here probably not anymore nothing, in the nothing for me I, I, in, I have a very different life now so <laughs> I have to have to be very careful in terms of what I plug and promote we will um, uh, we'll other than the city of the Gold Coast yeah yeah, yeah, yeah well, need to, more people need to major, come here major sponsor of Shock Therapy Productions <laughs> so uh, good place to be yeah. thanks mate cheers awesome. yeah. good great man.